Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from the realm of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. Matt Logan in studio today with Ray Gerard, who has a podcast of over 300. 300, is that right? Uh, well, actually, the websites, I do a podcast as well, but on the Eucharistic uh, items, Eucharistic miracles, it's a website with well over 300 stories of miracles and extraordinary experiences. Yes, sir. Yes, now, sir. Now, if you have ears, folks, you ought to hear this today. And if you have friends that ought to hear this today, you can get a free copy of this. Call after the program and just pay for the postage. We'd love to send you a copy. We certainly would. All right. Well, let's uh, start with prayer, Ray, and then we'll jump right in. All right. Very good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come fill our hearts. Fill our hearts with not only a, a sense of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, but a real, a real sense of his love for us, the love that has caused him to give us this, this marvelous gift, this gift beyond all imagination. And, uh, and we also pray this, this, uh, this day, Lord, that, that he be honored and respected everywhere and at all times in the Eucharist, that, that whatever prayers that we may offer, including this one, either before him or in his name, that we always give give thanks for the the sacrament, and that he, in all the tabernacles of the world where he may not be quite so honored, that that our prayers go to honor him in all of those places, and we ask all of this in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know the Lord works in mysterious ways, and like I was telling you, our church, uh, Immaculate Conception of Darden Prairie has five nights in a row with speakers, although I think today and tomorrow they will have it like a matinee, like at 1.30. And one half of the gym is for the talk, and the other half, actually not the gym, but the parish hall. The other half has tables and all of the miracles set up on the... Oh, you've got the International Exhibition. That's right. Yes, yes. So, folks, if you can get to Immaculate Conception of Darden, or give them a call, find out what's going on, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I heard... Father Charlie Sampson last night, and he speaks 10 languages. Really? Wow. Unbelievable. He's working on Aramaic right now, I think. So the, the, the language I spoke when Christ, you know, and it's difficult. You know, he knows all the rest of them. Wow. That's, yeah, that's quite some, uh, that's quite some little skill he's got. My goodness. Yes. Yes, My yes. goodness. I don't know how much call he's got to be speaking Aramaic, but hey. Well, he can therefore... Going to the readings. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, break it down the way it should be. Yeah, exactly. With the true meaning. Yeah, wow. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, you know, Matt, um, 
it's it's just a real privilege to be here. Every time I get a chance to speak about the Eucharist, I kind of feel, well, I feel very unqualified. But then you think, well, but who really could talk with any kind of authority about the Eucharist? Who really understands uh, the Eucharist? Um, tried to do it. You know, I have done it a bunch of different places. Did a webinar recently where we actually talked about um, a correlation between the Eucharist and quantum physics, if you can believe that. So, uh, you know, so I'm going to, so here we are again today with another opportunity to talk about the Eucharist. And like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing and a privilege. And I've, uh, I really got into doing this to begin with. Um, a friend approached me about, you know, doing a, a website together. And there was one idea that we had that was going to, you know, be, you know, what this, what this website was going to do. And then it just kind of changed on its own into, into a, a site about Eucharistic experiences. And uh, I mean, there were just so many stories. I mean, people know, I think, the, you know, the famous ones uh, where you've got instances where, you know, you've got the, the host and the wine turning into actual flesh and blood. So those are pretty famous, but there's so many others. You've got physical healings, a lot of different physical healings, for example, at Lourdes. Um, some of the absolutely documented a well, you know, well-established miracles, true miracles. Church approved. Church approved. I mean, they they scrutinize these things like, you know, like nobody's business. And um, No, it is their business. <laughs> yeah, it is their business. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of those happen during the procession of the Eucharist at Lourdes. Um, so you've got a lot of physical healings. You've got, for example, occasions where people have had visions of Christ. And I don't mean like one person. I mean several dozen or several hundred people at the same time will have the same vision. You know, I mean, that, a group vision of Christ in the presence of the Eucharist. You've got instances, people read about the stories, hey, you've got the multiplication of the loaves, and that's told in the Bible. Well, there are miracles. Well, it still happens with regard to consecrated hosts. Uh, there's one recently just in, I think, Connecticut, the, uh, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, uh, his old parish, or his, you know. Um, anyways, um, that just recently happened. I think that's still under investigation. But there are eyewitness accounts that have already come out mm -hmm. about about that instance. They did bring that up last night. Oh, did? Yeah, okay. Um, you've got instances where hosts have been preserved in pristine condition for centuries. Churches have burned down around a host, and the tabernacle or chalice will remain untouched. Um, you've got You've got instances where... Some of the saints will know um, whether or not a host is present in a church or whether or not, you know, a priest is walking down the road bringing a, a host. They just have that sense and they will know whether – and they can, be, they can be right or wrong to an uncanny degree. Um, you know, there's – you've got instances too where, for example, uh, people have lived on the host alone. There's many cases of this where people have lived on the host alone, no food, no drink. And you're not talking for like a couple of days. You're talking years. Uh, Blessed Alexandrina da Costa, Portugal, early 20th century, 13 years, 13 years. Um, and who's, uh, you know, Angelina Flino, and, uh, but she, uh, let's see, 40 years. I mean, there's just so many stories out there. Um, and, you know, I, I thought that, how do you, you know? How do you spread the word about the Eucharist? How do you help people believe in this marvelous gift that Christ is actually here, 
that God is here and that he joins himself to us today. Well, it's not just an old story in the Bible that, oh, he came to earth, now he's, he went back to heaven, and that was 2,000 years ago. He's here with us, with each one of us. He wants to be joined. How do you convince people of this? I That's tried a, that last yesterday, and I asked that question last night. Yeah, how'd you do? <laughs> well, he said lovingly. Yeah. And, you know, peacefully, you, you know, it's like you, you're going to run into a wall. You know, I mean, when you, when you put John 6 out there, you know, you can't browbeat him with it. No. Plant the seed, water the seed. Right. You know, but it is difficult for someone who does believe. It's like, why don't you get this? You know? <laughs> it's right here, you know. Oh, it, it, it's an act of faith. It, right. it requires an act of someone faith. Someone else asked, well, how come those people walked away? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it was, yeah, he was right there, and they still walked away because it's it's a hard saying. Yes, right. um, and he doubled down on him. So I used to, you know, I used to talk just simply about the miracles, and you know, hey, if you get if you come up with one miracle, somebody can come up with an explanation. Uh, you know, no matter how fantastic it might be, you know, hey, the you know the the sun's rays were. You know, the reverse polarity that day. God, who knows? But they can come up with some kind of fantastical explanation, some scientific explanation. They can stretch the laws of physics beyond all recognition in order not to believe, but they'll come up with the explanation. Okay, but what about two stories? What about 10? What about 100? And I, would, I used to think, well, if you do, if you, if you just inundate people with stories, at some point they're going to just have to admit, well, there's something special going on here, right? But, you know, there's, there's more to it than that. You need a little bit, you know, more than that. Um, and so I think what, what today I'd like to do is maybe talk about, or talk about this like from three different angles. Um, one, the incarnation, two, the cross, and then three, Christ being with us here today. I think that could help us understand the reason for the Eucharist. Like I said, I, you you have to want to believe. You have to think that this makes sense. Just to think that, well, Christ is here, God is here, and here's a miracle, and now you need to believe. You know, I don't think it's quite that simple. So how about the incarnation itself? I mean, okay, if Christ is here with us today, still here with us today in the Eucharist, that means that he's still with us. Well, why did God even—that that would, that would indicate there's, there's some desire on the part of God to be with us here on earth. Okay, well, if that's the case— then we need to understand why he came in the first place. Um, You have to start with the Old Testament then. Well, sure, because all of this is is prophesied in the the Old Testament. Um, So, I mean, why would God send his son in the first place? Why would he send his son to us at all? And uh, that actually begets another question. It always begets another question, right? Why did he make us in the first place? If he wants to be with us, well, before we get to that question, we could ask, well, why did he even make us in the first place? Now, this is going to be a good program. If you came into the, listening to this program thinking, thinking, uh, thinking, uh, thinking um, <laughs> you know, that would be just you know, be another boring program, whatever. No, I mean, if you ever wondered, you know, hey, what's the meaning of life? Why we were you know, made in the first place? Hey, this is – you're lucky because we're going we're gonna to get into that. But anyway um, – if um, so, is there a reason for us? Um, and if there is there a reason for us to be as he intended? I mean, if we were made, we were made for a reason. 
And so what is that reason? What's, what's that reason? I mean, that's why he sent his son to us in the first place. That's because wanted, we didn't get it the first time. Didn't get it the first time. Uh, St. Anathasius of Alexandria said, for example, and he wrote this book, The Incarnation of the Word of God. And one of the things he wrote was, you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. Can man explain God to other men? If we were put here for a purpose and God wants us to then live, fulfill that purpose, he wants us to be in a certain way. And can we explain that? Can we understand that and explain that to each other? Or would we need, you know, a divine explainer, right? Um, so Christ came to teach, to be a rabbi, to be a teacher, right? Well, that's, that makes a lot of sense. But, is, but that, that's not the only reason, is it? Is it why Christ came? I mean, the, one of the central beliefs of our faith is the cross, why? So he sent his son. That's um, he sent his son. To, he made us. He sent his son to us to teach us, so that we could help live out his, his purpose for us. Uh, but why did Christ have to then suffer on the cross? Um, for atonement. So, yes. Well, yes. Obviously, the church teaches that it's it's to save us from our sins. Um, and you know the way I think about it, I think about it like this. So God makes us. So are we not to be with God forever? Would he make us just to be some temporary transient uh, person that just lasts for a moment and then we're gone? Well, that's kind of contrary to God himself. I mean, would the one who is love itself and the one who loves outside of time, he's outside of time, so what he loves, he loves outside of time. Would he not love us for all time? Once created and loved by God, like I said, every action does not know any boundaries of time. Can we ever stop being loved by God? If we are to be loved forever, do we not have to live forever? I mean, how could God love us for just a little time? He loves us forever. He makes it. So we're supposed to live forever. But what if we don't fulfill the purpose that he has for us? What if we don't love others? What if we don't love him? What if we don't extend his love the way we're supposed to? What if we hate instead? Um, can we then share the love of God forever? I mean, if God made us to be extensions of him, to be in his image, to act out his love, um, but we do the opposite. That's called sin. That's called sin. Well, if we do the opposite, don't, aren't we separating ourselves from God? Well, of course we are. I mean, that's exactly what the church teaches, right? This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. Ray Gerard talking about the many miracles of the Eucharist today. My name is Matt Logman. I'm glad you've joined us today. And let's let Ray get back to it because we're talking about why God made us in his likeness and image, that is to be with him, to know him, to worship him, and to love him. And he's going to love us and forever. Okay, but we separate ourselves. We do not what he wants, but we do what we want. We separate ourselves. We do things that are not acts of true love in one way or another. Okay, so how do we get back? How do, well, obviously, that's, that's the cross. Um, Cardinal Ratzinger, before he became Pope Benedict XVI, wrote a beautiful little book called uh, God is Near Us. 
And he explains the cross in a way that just made such an impact on me. And what he says is, and it relates not, and it relates the cross and the Eucharist and the resurrection. And what he says is, look, so you got Holy Thursday, and you have the Last Supper, and Jesus institutes the Eucharist. And then the very next day, he's sacrificed on the cross. But the day before he has instituted the Eucharist, the Eucharist came first. Why? Well, if, and it's not if, this is, this is obviously true, but he said that, um, you know, this is my body. And then he tells the apostles to eat it. So now he's joined. They're joined. Then he offers his body on the cross. Well, if he's joined to these 11 apostles and then offers his body, if, he's, if his body is joined with the 11 apostles the day before, then he offers his body on the cross. He's not really just offering just himself. The offering to the Father is not just for himself. He's making an offering of a body which has been joined to his followers. So that's the offering that's made to God. It's Christ and those who follow him. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. When you talked about Thursday, what I heard yesterday was on Thursday, when he broke the bread to initiate the Eucharist, it was at the same time that just across the road, they were slaughtering the lambs. Exactly. For... At the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, okay, so then... But, <laughs> And Cardinal Ratzinger, you know, explained this in a way that's kind of uh, near and dear to my heart because he talks about it in terms of a contract. And I'm a lawyer by by profession, so you start talking legal contracts to me that makes that makes sense to, to my way of thinking. But anyways, so you have an offer, you have an offer, but you don't have a contract yet. You don't have an agreement. You don't have an agreement until somebody accepts the offer. So what happens? Well, we know the father accepted the offer. Because then the father extends um, extends the reward of this this contract to to Christ when he's resurrected on Easter Sunday. Well, if he was joined, if the offer was not just by Christ, but it was an offering on on Good Friday of Christ joined now to these other people, then when the gift is given on Easter Sunday in response to the offer. That gift is not just for Christ himself. That gift extends to those 11 people as well. And what did Christ tell those 11 people? Do this in remembrance of me. So all the way through the, you know, through the succession of, of the, the apostles and through the priesthood, right down to this very day, we're also, we also get to be part of that contract. We get to... Covenant. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what a covenant is. Right, exactly. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's, that helps us understand why we have the Eucharist. And uh, for ink, he used his blood. Well, yeah, you signed this contract and he signed it. The yeah, new that, that, and that, everlasting that covenant. Signed in blood, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, so that's a nice kind of way of looking at it. Can we believe it? I mean, okay, down to this day, 2,000 years later, this Eucharist is still his body. And uh, 
this contract can still be extended to us after all these generations. Well, that's where Eucharistic miracles come in, don't they? They're these stories that tell us, yeah, this is still true. There's one that happened, for example, um, in 1996. And I'm only going to tell one Eucharistic miracle story on this program because this one kind of sums a lot of things up for me anyway. But uh, this one happened in 1996. It involved a guy named uh, Michael Forrest. And he had a brother named Sean Forrest I met at a Catholic conference one time. But anyways, his brother, Michael, uh, Michael Forrest, uh, played the piano for a living. He, re- you know, he relied on his, on his fingers to support his, him and his family. Well, one day, he's a recent Catholic convert in 1996. I think they were living in Ohio at the time. And he was a recent convert to the Catholic faith. And he believed and didn't really have trouble believing all the things that he was taught through RCIA about the Catholic faith, except for one thing. And it was the Eucharist. He had a hard time. In the true presence of the Eucharist. In the true presence of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, here and now, every Mass, everywhere around the world. Right. A little problem with that, as, as we said before. It's a hard saying, right? And uh, so anyways, they're getting ready to go to Mass, him and his wife, and I think they had two kids. Anyways, he's strapping one of the kids into a car seat, and they had a Dodge Caravan, family minivan. So he's strapping, strapping the kid into the car seat. Well, his wife closes the door on his hand. And I guess it was one of these automatic doors where it like kind of closes and continues until it completes like the latching process. So he's got his left hand on the door frame as he's reaching in with his other hand to buckle his kid in. Door closes on his hand, and it latches fully. And he next talks about how he heard somebody screaming, but he didn't realize who it was. It was probably him. And then he realized it was him. (laughs) Yeah, so he was already starting to go into shock. So they got the door open. And he looked at his hand, and it was bloody. Blood, you know, blood's pouring out of this thing. And uh, three of the fingers were, like, crushed. And, you know, there were parts of them that were flat. There were other parts that had, like, swollen to twice their normal size. I mean, his hand was a mess. So his wife starts talking about, okay, tell you what, we'll take the kids, we'll drop them off at my parents, and then we'll get you to the hospital. And he said, he thought about it for a minute, and he thought, Somehow, he says that somehow he felt, he felt a compulsion to pray. Somehow he just felt a compulsion to pray. So he said, now let's go into the house and pray. Well, she's thinking he's kind of slightly nuts at this point, but she agrees. They go in the house, they pray. Okay, fine, can we go now? So they, you know, they, they, they start to get ready to go again. And then he says, you know what? No, we're not gonna, let's not take the kids to the parents. Let's go to church. And now she's thinking he's completely lost it. You know, what do you mean go to church? We need to get you to the hospital. Somehow he convinces her, no, we've got to go to church instead. So they go to church. But because of all of these little happenings, they're late. So they sit the very last pew in the church. So he's sitting there, and he's surprised because the priest gives a homily, and when he's given the homily, he's talking all about this one piece of Catholic faith that he's got the most trouble with. And he's talking all about the Eucharist and the reality of the presence of God in the Eucharist. And he's sitting there thinking to myself, you know, maybe this is why I came. 
This is exactly what I wanted to hear. At this particular moment, this is exactly what I wanted to hear. And so he's very moved by all of this talk. Anyway, so then the time for, for communion approaches. So because they were the last ones into the church, they were the, and sitting in the last pew, they're the last ones to go up for communion. So he's, um, he's, he's getting closer and closer, and he's, he's, he gets to the point where he's about ready to receive communion. And he hears a voice command that he kneel. And he did a little bit of a double take, and did I just, did I imagine that? Did I just hear that? And the voice came back again. And it told him, kneel. So he wasn't sure if he could even do this. He hadn't been a Catholic all that long. I mean, nobody else was doing it. He asked the priest, and he was given the okay, yeah, you can do this. So then he knelt down. So he received the Eucharist and starts walking back to his pew. And uh, he's trying to hide his hand because he's a little embarrassed about it. But anyways, he's walking back, and he says he feels some kind of a warmth. Then he gets back to the pew, and um, he asks his wife, you know, for some fresh tissues. Um, you know, the ones he's got now are whatever he's got. You know, he's, I think he had his hand wrapped in some paper towels and like some kind of a hand towel. And I guess they were getting drenched in the blood. So he's like, you know, let's take this off. And so his wife starts to unwrap his hand, and then she tells him, she says, Michael, look at your hand. And so he looks down at his hand, and he sees the blood receding into his fingers. The swelling goes down, and in a span of seconds, his hand's normal. His hand's normal. Well, they're a little agitated, you might think, uh, by all of this. So mass is over. So they go up to the priest, and they excitedly, you know, in some state of excitement, tell him all that had happened. And they've got these bloody towels there. I mean, you know, so anyways, um, then uh, a couple of uh, older women come up and uh, they say to him, they say, uh, we just wanted to say thank you for the reverence that you showed the Eucharist by kneeling. The priest then turns to him and says, Michael, you know what day this is? And he says, no, 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 it's Sunday. He says, no, 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 it's not just Sunday. Do you know what day it is? It's, of course, it was Corpus Christi Sunday. Wow, so uh, there's more to the story. because There's I'm a little s- more to come. Yes, there's a little yes. more to come. Which is kind of known as a tease in the radio <laughs> business, because we do have a short break coming up here, folks. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents. We are coming to you live from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. In studio today, Ray Gerard, as we are talking about Eucharistic miracles. My name is Matt Logman, and I, I keep remembering that the Lord said, Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And that was one of the questions we talked about the other day about, well, how come some people get to see? They needed it. God bless you. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Matt Logeman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea, a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and seven medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters V. R S N 
M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B. And Latin reference, which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally, located at the top is the word Pax, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio. Check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. And we are back. St. Joseph Radio presents, coming to you live from the Rome of the West. And speaking of free, folks, actually, it's only going to cost you the price of a stamp for this program. Call us after the program and provide postage, and you get a CD with this, and you can share it or re-listen to it. And it's miraculous, because that's what we're talking about today. All right, Ray, so what's going on now? I mean, he's telling the priest, and the priest is probably a little bit, eh, I don't know if this really happened the way he said, I would think. Maybe. Um but so these, you know, these, these women come up and they say, thank you for showing the reverence. And the priest um, informs him that, yeah, it, just by coincidence, it's Corpus Christi Sunday. And then the priest tells him, by the way, Michael, do you understand what's going on here? And he says, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, you had this injury. Now you've got this miraculous healing. But it's not just for you. It's not just for you. Because part of this was this command you received to kneel, and then you knelt, you showed the reverence. He said, this miracle wasn't just for you. It was for other people, like all miracles. I mean, for example, when um, Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, and he's praying just before he raises Lazarus. He's praying out loud, out loud. And he prays, uh, he knows what he's going to do. And he's praying to the Father and saying, you know, this is... You know, not just for me, but for those people that are that are standing here, so that they may believe. And even before they made the trip to to go to Lazarus, uh, you know, he's talking to you know the the apostles, and he says, you know, well, you know, Lazarus, you know, Lazarus is dead, but we're you know we're going there. Why are we going there if he's already dead? So that you may believe, because he knew exactly what was going to happen. That's often enough. You know, what's behind miracles? They're to help us or those around us believe. And, uh, you know, that, so I, li- I like this particular story, but, but, but why? I mean, it's, obviously it's a tremendous story. And if you just listen to the story that, as we've just told it and nothing more, it's a fabulous story. But there's more to it. You know, what if we think about it a little bit? And by the way, I, you know, the sort of analysis that we're going to go into next in terms of what happened in this story and what, what this story can tell us, um, it all, like, came to me. 
during adoration, another like small coincidence. But this, you know, what, what's going to follow now is the result of some time in adoration. Anyway, as I was thinking about this particular story in adoration, three things kind of came out to me. Um, and they all start with the letter C. It's coincidence, a commandment, and consolation. So let's talk about the coincidence. Okay, well, this happened on Corpus Christi Sunday. No coincidence. Just, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just, just, just a coincidence. Um, you know, and, oh, he had a problem believing this one particular tenet of our faith. You know, it, that's, you know, just a coincidence. Um, so, you know, when you have these coincidences like that, how do you explain them? How do you explain it? Because they involved other people. You know, there's one part of the story that I left out. As he was telling the priest at the back of the church after Mass what had happened, the priest told him, he said, and you remember now, this homily that the priest gave was apparently a very stirring, moving homily. Well, the priest tells Michael, he said, you know, before Mass, I had this feeling that I had to make this homily today special. He felt something where this homily had to be made special. Was that just a coincidence, too, that he happened to feel this, this, this inspiration on the very day that not only, you know, this was the church celebrating Corpus Christi, but this person would be coming into the church with this whole situation involving his hand? You've got, you know, these, these different things happening to different people at the same time. So here's the thing. Christ is present in the Eucharist. That's what we believe. Amen. Well, Christ is the word. Christ is the truth. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is truth. Truth itself, that's Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. Truth. Um, a lot of places, a lot of people today don't believe there's even such a thing anymore as, as truth, but that's another story. Anyways, um, so if Christ is truth, and if he is present, if we happen to be in his presence during the Mass and at adoration and so on, we're in the presence of truth. So if we're in the presence of truth, we ought to be able to glean truths from these episodes, these, these things that take place, these manifestations of his real presence. If he's going to manifest himself in a Eucharistic miracle, we ought to be able to understand truth from this. So here you have these, these coincidences that are occurring, and different people are involved. Well, what does that suggest? Oh, there was a plan. There was a plan to what was going to happen this day. On this particular day, this guy who had trouble believing, his wife closed the, the door on his hand. He then felt the compulsion to pray. He then felt the need to go to Mass instead of going to the hospital, as I don't know how many other people would have done, chose not to go to the hospital. Then he kneels. All the women, the women see this. They appreciate it. <clears throat> the priest is doing the homily on Cor about Corpus Christi and so on and so forth. There was a plan. In this little, small episode of events, these, these little occurrences happening with this small group of people, and that little isolated setting of people and, and, and this particular time, there was a plan. Well, 
if this is truth, if Christ is truth, and if Christ, you know, and truth is present in the Mass, when, you know, when we're in the presence of Christ, when the presence of truth, if that's true, and there's a plan there, well, Christ isn't just limited to that church in that particular place and time, but he's everywhere. What does that mean? There's a plan for everybody everywhere. Can we not maybe take from this one small event the fact that there's a plan when God acts, there's a plan that God has for us, and then extrapolate from that that there's a plan for other people, other places, other times? Sure. Of course. Why not? Everybody has a story, no matter how big or how small. And if you don't share that story, that is the enemy working on you. Yeah. We need to hear more of these stories. Right. Yeah. we, we got to share those stories. We need to share those Go stories. Go and make disciples. Come on, people. <laughs> so that's our first C, a coincidence. What's the next one? A command. He was told to kneel. It's something that, I mean, it was a surprise to him. He divine, didn't even know if you could do it. Divine it's hardly something. It's hardly something that he would have thought of on his own because he didn't even know you could do it. Mm-hmm. He had asked permission. Um, so it came from somewhere. There was a command. He was told to do something. And then what did he do? He followed he the fell. command. He followed the command. Um, what's another? What's, what, do we have a word for that when you follow the command of, of our Lord and Creator? Obey? I don't know. Obey. Yeah, Obey. Obedience. So he obeyed the command. Um, so what's happening there? Well, he's fulfilling the plan. What is the plan that God has for all of us? I mean, he wants us to, he, he wants to love us. He wants us to love others. That's, our, that's the plan. And, uh, you know, so if we follow that plan, then we're going to be fulfilling that purpose that he has for us. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, that gets us to our third C, the consolation. So what happens after he obeys this command? Miraculously rewarded. He received, you know, a lot of times the saints, you listen to the saints and they talk about consolations. Mm -hmm. Um, They receive... um, Grace. Yeah, some grace, you know, some... Some, you know, for example, you know, maybe you get the sense during adoration that Christ is present, whether it's in a, a vision, a voice, what have you. And often enough, these things are referred to as consolations. There's something to help us believe. Is it better? Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe? Sure. Uh, but sometimes they're given these graces and they're consolations that just, to, you know, to give you joy, peace, let you know, for, yes, yes, I am here. Yes, you can feel. Feel, you can feel at ease. So they're given the consolation. So there's a reward that's given. Okay, well, let's go back to this discussion we're having about truth. If you have a little truth, are the, you know, is not a little truth connected to a, a bigger truth? Um, if you have, you know, one small thing that you know, if you know two plus two equals four, then can you not say, well, two plus two plus two equals, I mean, Smaller truths are connect. If there's, it builds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, smaller truths are pieces of a bigger truth. Uh, and when you find that things don't connect, when they conflict with one another, hey, that's your biggest clue that you know what you're thinking is maybe not part of the truth. So in 1996, that little pebble, little pebble, was tossed into the water, and we will not have any idea until we're with the Father how many people will be saved from this miracle. 
from this miracle and from what we do. With I mean, this miracle, by sharing it. <laughs> and, and even broader than that, I mean, okay, there's a, plan, there's a plan for these people in 1996. Well, there's a plan for all of us today, everywhere, at all times. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to obey. We're supposed to follow his commands. And then what's going to happen? Do we not get consolations? What is, if the, if the plan is immense, if the plan covers all of us, okay, and we follow the plan, we fulfill the plan, then we too should be able to get a consolation. Um, and so what's our consolation? What's our consolation? Well, again, let's take a small truth and go to a big one. Okay, small, small consolation. Your three fingers, they're hurt, they're, you know, they're banged up. Okay, we fixed those. That's nice. That's a small. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> a little, little bigger than small. But that's okay, a, that's in the livelihood. grand scheme of things. That is his livelihood, though. He's a piano player. I get you. I get you. All I right. get you. But compared to the grand scheme of things. Eternal life? In, relatives, in a relative <laughs> sense, you're still talking small, right? Oh, sure, sure. Yes, exactly, eternal life. I mean, what is the biggest consolation? What's, if we talk about a bigger truth— well, yeah, it's salvation for all time. So this guy, uh, there's a coincidence because there was a plan. He obeyed it, so he fulfilled the plan, and he received the consolation. That's the truth that we can see, that we can analyze, that we can find in this story where Christ was present. Christ is present in the world. Christ is present with you. Christ is present with me. So um, if there are coincidences in our lives, I mean, it, it, there's, there's a plan for each of us. We follow the plan, we'll receive the consolation. You know, it's just, you know, if we follow Christ's plan, yeah, eternal life forever with God. Um, this little story where Christ was present, and it's, you know, somebody will have a story like this. It'll happen to them, they'll remember it the rest of their lives, but they're not going to have another story quite like this probably in their entire life. So one little moment in time out of their life. But in that one moment, because God was there, because it happened in the presence of God, there's truth that you can see in it. And just like, you know, I mean, Christ is truth itself, you can see the whole truth. Just like, you know, for example, we say, if you get a fraction of a host, you still get the entire, the, you know, the body, the blood, the soul, the divinity. If you take the host and you don't take the, the wine, take the blood, it doesn't matter. You still get the whole presence of God. I mean, yeah, you know, you can still—the whole truth is there in this story, just like all of Christ is there in every, in every host. So anyways, um, you know, I, I got into so many different Eucharistic miracle stories. And the one thing I didn't—that I never—that sometimes it's so unsatisfying about Eucharistic miracle stories is when you read them, uh, you don't get the backdrop. What's going on in the person's life? Why did it happen? You know, you might hear, you know, okay, you know, um, somebody, you know, had a different kind of miraculous cure. Um, well, why? You know, did, was it to help them believe? Were they having doubts before it? Did they have, did they have fears? Did they have family trouble? Um, you know, whatever. Were they turning away from God? What was going on in their life just before the Eucharistic miracle may have happened? And, of course, and then, of course, you know, what happened afterwards. And so many of these stories that get reported, you don't get that. Right. And this was like a, a full narrative told by somebody. I mean, it's just, it was recent, 1996. And so you get the, like the whole story. 
And you can get, like I said, out of it the whole truth. Well, when we read the lives of the saints and they talk about that dry spell, they're not getting that consolation that we're talking about. But then they probably are getting the consolation that they need, not what they think that, you know, what they want, which is to feel God's presence at that time. But there's a reason for that dry period. I, I believe the consolation is in God's time, and there's a reason for those dry periods. Yeah, I suppose so. Maybe because then they'll, you know, then they'll rebound all the better. You know, I mean, a lot of the Eucharistic miracles stories we talked about, you know, the, you know, the the host and so forth turning into actual flesh and blood. Um, it involves like a doubting priest, the most famous Eucharistic miracle of all, Lanciano. That's exactly what was happening. Well, tell people briefly. I mean, in a nutshell, I know you got something else you want to talk about, though, but a lot of people haven't heard about it. Well, if you haven't heard about the story of Lanciano, um, it is probably the most significant, the f- most famous, the most well-known, the most, I guess, dramatic Eucharistic miracle documented. that we have. Documented, sure. Tested. And you can talk about this one as well or better. The whole program, really. Uh, you know, Matt, you can talk about this one you know, as well, but uh, it happened about the year 800. Uh, so we're talking, you know, 12 you know, th- centuries ago. And uh, there was a priest, and he was going to be saying Mass, and he doubted. A priest, the one who's going to repeat the words of Christ, the one who's in persona Christi, who was uttering words, um, the, the words of consecration. God created the world when he said, let there be this, let there be that. If God thinks that it happened... The priest utters the words, and it happens. Why? Because the priest is in persona Christi. Persona Christi. Yeah. And uh, so uh, did we uh, – I'm, I'm sorry, did you want to – No, you're fine. I didn't okay. want to interrupt, though, but I will now that you pause. This <laughs> is St. Joseph Radio Presents. We are coming to you live from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. It is a beautiful place to grow a family. Yeah, bring them up here. You know, move to the Midwest. We have morals and values. It's 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 nice, I think. Morals and values are always nice. Well, you know, it's it's a truth. You know, there's that little piece of truth. Truth, right? Oh, so I'll let you get back to this marvelous miracle because I think, like you said, it is one of the most popular tested. Sure. And if you're looking about a Eucharistic miracle that could have occurred to help other people, oh boy, this is this is it. I mean, you could think about this this priest. He's doubting. He's the one who says the words, who causes you know through. The grace of God causes by his participation, he obeys the command. You take a vow as a priest, you're supposed to, you know, say the Mass. And so he's obeying, and then, of course, the consolation at every Mass is that, that Christ actually comes and the, the, the bread and the wine become, you know, his body and blood. Anyways, so he doubted this happens. He doubted it happened. And then, of course, it changed right there in front of him. Um, there's a similar instance Happened around the year, was it 12, about the year 1200, I think. This was in Rome, and there was a church, and uh, we'll get back to Lanciano in a minute, but there was a church where a priest was saying Mass. He doubted. It changed uh, in front of his eyes. He dropped the host and the chalice. He was just so shocked. And when he dropped it, it fell into the marble—it it hit the marble floor and sank into the marble floor. And word was that there were these depressions in the marble floor to this day where this happened. And the stain is still there. And so I went to Rome, and I happened to go to this church and, and see this. But anyways, um, 
Silenciano, back to Silenciano. So it's 800, year 800, this happens, he doubts, it changes in, you know, before his eyes. So, I mean, uh, sure, that was to help the priest, right? That was a miracle to help him believe. But the story has been told and retold and retold, and we're retelling it now, how many hundreds of years later? And sure, it's helping other people. Anyways, um, but as you know, yourself, Matt, um, this one is, is significant because um, the remnants of that, the, the flesh and the blood, the blood of it, kind of coagulated now, but it remains to this day. It's like five, you can five go drops there, of the blood there. Yeah, and... You can go there and still see it today. Now, why is that such a big thing? Yeah, tell the people what happened when they tested it some 1,200 years later. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll let you tell them that. But <laughs> oh, no. What, but what, um, why is that so special that this lasted last 1,200 years? Because things don't last 1,200 years. You take a piece of bread, you put it out. I mean, anything that's organic, it decomposes. It doesn't last. It breaks down. You know, something like, like a host, I mean, it should break down in a matter of weeks or months. 1,200 years? And it's still there. And, you know, as you were saying, Matt, um, yeah, there have been tests that have been done on it. They found that it's human blood. Uh, scientific tests being done today, they found that it's human blood, but there's still white blood cells in it, Matt, right? And uh, white blood cells don't last after death. Like 15 minutes. 15 minutes, you know. And they can tell that it was part of, I think the term is striated. It's striated tissue. It's part of, first of all, they identified it as heart muscle tissue. Right. And the flesh they identified as heart muscle tissue, and it was striated, meaning obviously it had gone through tremendous stress. This heart was under attack of some sort. Um, I mean, the, all of these things that you you, sure. you can't explain. No, like you, some of the scientists were like going, how is this white blood cells here? This must be from a recent murder victim. Sure. And, you know, the... <laughs> so it helped uh, no. a lot of people when they're like getting these results and they find out, well, no, this is from a sample from 1,200 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. You know, right, sure, fine. Yeah, of course. Have, no problem. It happens all the time. Um, you know, so anyways, uh, so tomorrow we celebrate Corpus Christi Sunday, right? Tomorrow we celebrate Corpus Christi Sunday. And how many times do we go to Mass? And we go through the motions. You know, there are many times when, um, and I don't know, it's, it's obviously a failing on my part, but it almost seems almost seems like I get more out of adoration than I do out of actually receiving because we have a tendency to go through the motions. Um, you know, we're, we're getting up, then we're getting in line, then we're walking up, and the music is playing, and then you get down to your, you get back to your pew, and as soon as you do, you know, within, within moments, you know, then the priest is continuing with the rest of the Mass. You don't have time to stop and think what really just happened. And of course, in adoration, that's when you do have the time to gaze at the host, to understand, to believe he's there. I can't see him, but he's there. And of course he's there. Um, just because, I mean, there's lots of things that, that we can't see that are still, uh, you know, that are, that are true, that are there. Um, you know, is there something beyond this life? Is there... You know, is there anything outside of space and time? And this is where, you know, I can start to get into the quantum physics things, but that's, that's, that's much too big a, a topic area to go into. Um, but, uh, 
but you know, when do we have the? When do we take the time? When do we have the time at mass to really think and appreciate it? Well, we often start, enough, we don't. We should start hours before mass. Start hours before mass or linger after mass. Sure, that'd be a great. Read thing. the readings before mass. That'd be a great folks. thing to do. Meditate with them. You know, but we just have this tendency, uh, not really to appreciate this this tremendous gift. And so tomorrow we celebrate Corpus Christi Sunday, and you know maybe we can just you know use it as an opportunity to think perhaps more than we generally do about what is really there, what we are really receiving: body, blood, soul, and divinity, and love, love itself, love that is timeless, a love that has loved us. Before we were born, it is time. It is a timeless love, um, and love that love that will never stop loving us. And we're receiving that. We're receiving that. There's a guy. He, God comes down from heaven to be with us, and not only that, but he stayed so that he could be with intimately each one of us. Uh, it's just it's. It's still amazing. Don't you love that question from the Protestant brother or sister that says, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship <laughs> with him? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a very intimate one, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. There's a, there's a story about, um, I think it was 1800s, and there's, a, there's a, 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 an Arab priest, and he's walking down the streets of Paris with a Catholic, and some priest walked by. And I guess he was carrying viaticum or something, but he was carrying a ciborium or picks or something. This other person knelt down as the priest passed. And, uh, well, anyways, that's that's a story for another time. But the Mohammedan said, well, we our idea of God is, is priest. You know, is, our idea of God is he's somebody up in heaven. And uh, the Catholic said, well, our idea of God is someone who's, who we know intimately who's right here with us. Because, you know, the definition of a miracle is just that. It is something that is above our understanding. It is miraculous in nature. It is something that cannot happen in our human nature. So when you see something that's supernatural, that's a miracle. And when you're talking about consolation, reading the Word of God in prayerful meditation, talking to God the Father in communion with the Holy Spirit, in awe we will sense the presence of His agape love. listening to St. Joseph Radio presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.